Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this is the podcast that helps you with your relationship with fitness, food and yourself. And today's podcast is very much focusing on that last one, yourself. We are talking to therapist and author Whitney Goodman all about her new book, Toxic Positivity. Now that might be a phrase you've heard, it's certainly one I heard, but Whitney, like I said, literally wrote the book on it. And so we're getting into what toxic positivity is, how it shows up and how it can impact us in terms of our emotional health and our emotional well-being. We also talk about grief, why we struggle to feel negative emotions and why, you know, phrases like, you know, just stay positive all the time can be harmful. It's a really interesting conversation. I loved chatting to Whitney and I really hope you enjoy this one because she has some really great insights and I felt like it was a really just truthful conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into that, of course, I just need to remind you that Firstly, if you're in the US, yes, the Train Happy Journal is here and it's available and now it's available worldwide. You can get it. Um, There are links in the show notes if you would like to get your copy of the Train Happy Journal. It's a 30-day guide to help you kickstart your intuitive movement journey through journaling. And if you want to be part of the support group, you can find the Train Happy Journal community on Facebook and join other people who are working their way through the journal and trying to work on their relationship with exercise too. And if you want to join me with some of these like-minded people, I am going to Greece in September. We are hosting the Train Happy Retreat in beautiful Chennai on the island of Crete. And I have to say, if you've seen some of the pictures, which you'll find on my website, um, once again, linked in the show notes, you'll see it's Crystal Blue Waters just a stunning view of the sea and we're going to have opportunities to do workshops together on intuitive movement we're going to be doing dance party workouts we're going to be eating delicious food exploring the town having time on the beach and so if you want to know more about it then make sure you click the link in the show notes and book your spot and what is an intro to the podcast without this week's Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's Train Happy Trooper is Elisa. Now, Elisa sent in a lovely train happy moment, and I love this. Elisa did her first 25 kg barbell squat. It made her feel strong and able to see what my body can do. And I love just celebrating these simple moments of, you know, these wins when you're training, when you can feel yourself getting stronger, getting fitter, you can feel the progress. And so often we put 
down you know fitness progress and especially well diet culture puts down fitness progress into being all about the visual change but this is nothing to do with that this is about you you know working with your body to get stronger to get fitter and you know being really proud of yourself when you do you know lift heavier weights than you've ever done before so Elisa thank you so much for sharing that with us if you want to hear more from Elisa you can find her as this week's train happy trooper of the week over on Instagram and make sure you follow us on Instagram at train happy podcast and if you would like to be train happy trooper of the week please dm us on Instagram or you can email us train happy podcast at gmail.com okay enough from me here it is our lovely conversation with this week's guest Whitney Goodman Hi Whitney, welcome to the Train Happy Podcast. It's so exciting to have you. I've followed your work for years. I'm really excited about your book, Toxic Positivity, coming out. And so I'm so thrilled we could chat on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Like I say, a real pleasure. Um, So where are you based? I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. I see sunshine. I see warmth in this picture. I'm I'm jealous. It's gloomy, rainy day in London and I'm just I'm just like getting the sunshine through the screen and I'm loving it. Could let you have some. Yes, the please send the vitamin D my way. <laughs> um so obviously it is January as we're speaking and I'm sure you've done a ton of chats already with your new book coming out, but I wanted to know your thoughts on January as a whole, the kind of new year, new you mindset, because as a therapist yourself and an author of a book about toxic positivity, what I love about your work in general is you kind of just add that dose of realness and kind of reality to often um, simplified ideas and simplified kind of platitudes at this time of year. So I just wondered what your thoughts were on January, how you felt about it? Do you make New Year's resolutions? So I don't personally, but what I'm seeing online lately is like, there's a camp that's like really in support of New Year's resolutions. And then the other side is like, don't make New Year's resolutions. They're toxic. And I kind of think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, The new year doesn't have to be the time that you start over or that you do something new for yourself. But for a lot of people, that marking of time is is helpful. The way I like to think of it is more like an intention or what is something I'm going to add to my life rather than something I'm going to take away. So I might say like, I'm going to try to eat more vegetables or I'm going to try to move my body more instead of saying like, I'm not going to eat junk food or like, I'm not going to do X. And I see that working better than actually setting these really strict resolutions. I would agree with you. My one, and I don't necessarily love resolution this year, but my main thing was to not to stop my morning scroll, which was setting me up for an unproductive day, which is getting me on the back foot but I needed to not get rid of it completely because I actually really enjoy it it's just it messes up there at my you know if I need to get things done it's just not good for me so I'm like I can still do it I'm just going to do it later in the day and like reframing it that way rather than going no you're not allowed to do this you're bad if you do xyz I think 
is like a really totally. nice gentle way of making changes and like changing your habits without like feeling I don't know like it's too much to conquer yeah absolutely that's something I want to stop doing too and I've kind of taken the approach of like I'm gonna do it for less time yeah well I said like on the weekends it's fair game if you don't have plans Mm -hmm. you can lie in bed till your heart's content but (laughs) when you have work to do and then it gets to three or four o'clock in the afternoon and you're panicking because you haven't got the things you needed to get done because you were faffing on your phone in the morning maybe the scroll is better suited at 5 p.m rather than at you know, 7am. So that's, that's my plan. That's my plan. Um, (laughs) So I want to know about your journey to becoming a therapist and subsequently specializing in this area and talking about, you know, writing a book about toxic positivity. Um, Yeah. Did you know you always wanted to be a therapist? I always knew I wanted to work with people. Um, I did a lot of like volunteer type work. I worked with kids a lot in college. Um, and I got a degree in sociology, which you really can't do anything with in the US. So once I got to the end of my uh, undergrad degree, I was like, wow, I really need to figure something out. And I started just Googling different programs. And I was really drawn to uh, working with families and family systems. So I went straight into grad school from undergrad and became a therapist, I think, quite earlier in life, maybe than some people, um, which was really interesting. And then the toxic positivity angle, like really was born out of being on Instagram. I um, got on the platform as a therapist in 2018. And that's when I started to notice all of these like fonts and bright colors in these posts. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so irritating. I do not like this. And I actually started making like a saved a Pinterest board of all of these posts. So if anyone goes on my Pinterest, it probably looks like I really like these quotes, <laughs> but I don't. What's your from, least, sorry, what's your least favorite quote? Oh gosh. Any of the really simple ones, like just smile, be happy, um everything happens for a reason I hate that one (laughs) all the really short ones tend to bother me for some reason (laughs) all the short ones with no nuance (laughs) exactly we will definitely get in we will definitely get into some of those later um and so yeah because so much you've been writing around toxic positivity and like these phrases and then how it shows up in other aspects of grief and um you know, like in January, then I th- I really think this is like something that has been exacerbated by social media. You know, um, it is easy to see a cute quote and like you say, like a pretty, you know, Instagram graphic or Pinterest quote and go like, oh yeah, that's, that's it. I don't, I don't know if you saw the huge, um, there's been a bit of a, a sto- news story social media news story in the UK that like a really massive you British influencer had said you know we've all got the same 24 hours in the day there's Beyonce you know we can do you know if you put your mind to it you can do it and there's been a ton of backlash against that comment of not addressing elements of privilege and resources and all that kind of stuff understandably um but I think it's one of those things where the person who said it probably saw like a cool, cute Instagram post, a cool, cute Pinterest graphic. And then these things just go in our brains and then we don't necessarily have opportunity to like think critically about things or or really assess it. 
is that what you're saying like an oversimplification of some of these absolutely yeah and you know when that person said that I don't know what their intent was but most of the time it comes from a good place of like being like I'm gonna be motivational or inspirational and because it's so oversimplified it's very hard to think about like how might this affect other people um how might this affect people that are struggling Um, or who don't come from the same place that I am. I think with that whole scenario as well, I was just talking to my um, boyfriend about it at lunch and just saying, you know what, the person who said it's 22, um, you know, and as much as we like to put people on certain pedestals, people are 22, your brain's not even fully formed yet. That's what I always (laughs) always say to myself, you know, um, the naivety with which that is said is, is huge and the and at 22 you think that your perspective of the world is the majority of people's perspective of the world and so true you don't realize that so many people have different experiences and different upbringings and and have different lives and you only have your kind of yourself to to draw from um which is what which is what I think also is like an overriding theme like I said of a lot of this content of you know like giving like I say like well-meaning well-intentioned kind of motivational speeches or quotes or whatever but just lacking in different people's perspectives lacking in um like I say just that that kind of critical thinking that awareness of mm-hmm. that people you know there are other people out there doing you know have a different life experience and and maybe a blanket statement isn't for everyone yeah that's been the hardest thing for me to explain to people when I talk about toxic positivity I think is that just because they're being nice and positive doesn't mean that it can't hurt someone and I think that can be a really difficult pill to swallow yes and one of the places obviously I'm from a fitness background a personal trainer you know that's my domain and I see a lot of kind of toxic positivity and fitness um whether it is the narrative of like no excuses if we've all got the same 24 hours in the day just put yourself first and you can do it and you can achieve it um and I think a lot and I, you know, I want to get into kind of your definition of toxic positivity because I think a lot of that comes from believing like you are in charge of your own destiny, full stop, that only you are standing in your way of achieving your dreams. And I I think that's a naive perspective. Um, I think we we have to look at the various layers and intersections of living in this world and recognize it's easier for some people than it is for others, whether it's um, a gender thing, a race thing, um, you know, we have to talk about that. So how do you define toxic positivity? Let's start with that. And do you think a lot of it stems from this idea that you are in control of your destiny? So toxic positivity as as an overarching theme is really this unrelenting pressure to be happy all the time, no matter what the circumstances, and to always be pursuing a good mood, happiness, positivity. 
underneath that, we see it happening in a couple of different ways, right? So we can use toxic positivity on others when we tell them to suppress an emotion, to not feel something, um, to turn it around very quickly. We also do this to ourselves. And when we do this, we're holding up a lot of systems within our world, you know, sexism, racism, different types of discrimination that happen because of that. I I completely um, agree with you. And I want to talk about that part of toxic positivity where basically it's like no negative emotions are allowed and shouldn't be felt and that crying is bad. And I have to say, I have a real personal experience with this um, of losing my dad when I was a teenager I was like 17 years old my dad passed away and I was I was really sad to begin with obviously huge shock huge trauma in my life um but I remember being you know even a few months later and and kind of saying to myself and saying to other people you know what there's no you know I'm no good to anyone if I'm just moping about this it's happened Mm. It, it was what it was I can't control anything nothing changes from me being sad so I'm just gonna keep going and keep living my life and I get like my sentiments were good but ultimately it backfired because I had to deal with that sadness and grief at some point and not allowing myself and not giving myself the space to feel a range of emotions um, meant that eventually the stuff that I was suppressing and trying to push down just manifest itself in other ways like developed an eating disorder I you know became obsessive about other things because I was looking for ways to kind of control and suppress and distract from this grief that I did not know what to do to uh, do Mm -hmm. with and I see this being such a common theme in the conversations we have on this podcast we talk a lot about things like eating disorders and exercise addiction and and coping mechanisms and we always talk about you know the tip of the iceberg and what's going on underneath and in my experience and kind of the you know the like the repetitive story I'm hearing from other people is that so much of it stems from not knowing not wanting to feel sad or angry or any negative emotion and not Mm -hmm. knowing how to feel it. Absolutely. And you you brought up such a good point during that is that we feel like people will reject us if we're not in a positive place or if we're not doing something about it, right? And so it's like, I'm not good for anyone if I'm in this space. And also, what am I getting from this? I hear a lot of people echo the same thing you did that like, oh, it doesn't do anything to be sad, but it does. You know, that processing of emotions and feeling that sadness can actually prevent us from a lot of harm in the long term. You mentioned like some really, I think, common and important consequences to not feeling our emotions. It's interesting where, you know, where experiencing you know my partner and I experiencing a bit of grief at the moment we lost someone over Christmas and um you know it's it's and I'm having I'm really really trying my hardest to hold space for the sadness and not trying to make it better because still even despite no you know having done a lot of work and I'm being trying to be more comfortable 
comfortable with my own sadness. I desperately want other people to be happy all the time and I want to take their pain away and I want to cure, you know, cheer them up and cure their grief and just tell them everything's going to be okay. And, you know, my best friend lost um, her dad over a year ago now and I can't believe she has just grieved in a way I am in awe of I've never seen someone just lean into grief and allow and give herself space to just feel it um I've never seen that before because to me it's such a societal thing it's a very British thing as well to have a stiff upper lip to you know not cry to not show your emotion um and so it's been very like it's been amazing to witness her have this you know, allow the sadness to be and and to kind of help be with her in her sadness. Mm-hmm. And I still, you know, and every time my brain's gone, wanting to say a phrase like, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're at a better place now or um, this person, you know, what happened happened and, you know, like it's all part of a plan or whatever I could say um it's taken everything within me to try and not say that (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I want to I want to I I don't like seeing the people I love being sad um how do we how do we change our kind of thinking around that how do we learn to allow other people to be sad around us do you feel that's partly starting with yourself and learning to be yourself to be sad? Sure. What you're pointing out, I think is so common and is often like the good intention behind toxic positivity. It's like, I don't want you to feel sad. I want to be able to make this better. And that's when we reach for some of that like low hanging fruit of those sayings that you Mm. brought up because we don't really want to have to sit with that person. And a lot of this I think comes from practice and seeing that things are going to be okay on the other side. So learning to sit with your own pain, with other people's pain, not fixing it, and kind of seeing them come around or even get more comfortable with you can help us feel like, okay, this isn't as risky as I think it is. It's okay for me to sit with this person. And sometimes we get a lot of positive feedback from the other person as well when we're able to do that, and that helps. What do you think are the kind of key societal factors that have led to us largely being unable to to sit with sadness to to express sadness and anger and pain and disappointment and on all those things when we look at the history of of toxic positivity particularly in the united states it's a it's a force that's been with us for many 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 years Um, that it's been so integrated into our society and into how we do things that I think it's just the expectation now is you will be positive, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get it together and get back to work. And when we're not taught as children and as young adults that experiencing a wide range of emotions is actually normal and more productive we're not going to engage in that because we don't have the skills. We don't think it's okay. And we think we're going to get shunned, you know, professionally, personally from our families if we do do that. And I think a lot of people listening 
might be able to think of experiences where that has happened in their life and people have told them what they're feeling is wrong or not okay. Or just get over it. Yeah. It's time to move on now. Like I know, so like I say, my best friend's gone through this horrific loss in her life and, you know, has been devastated. And I know that there are people around her, you know, a couple of months later saying like, you know, aren't you over it by now? You're thinking, you just lost one of the most important people in your life. How are you going to ever be over it? You're never over it. (laughs) Let alone after like a matter of weeks and months. (laughs) That, yeah, and I, and I feel that it's coming from that place because they haven't had that role model or seen that. And so, do you feel that the the kind of cure, but the way we kind of move past this toxic positivity kind of culture and this culture of like not feeling our feelings, is to kind of break the cycle? And we have to teach our children it and we have to see like adults in our life role modeling that kind of behavior and, and allowing, you know, seeing if you're a child, maybe seeing your parent express their emotion with them cry or that they're able to hold space for you to cry. Absolutely. Because as kids, the number one thing I hear parents say is, I just want my kid to be happy. And that's really Mm -hmm. like an an entry point into this happiness obsessed culture. And if we as parents, you know, and and adults and role models and caregivers where people can say, you know what, I actually don't want my, I want my kid to experience happiness, but I also want them to know pain and joy and sadness and all the things that, and fulfillment, like all the things that make life interesting and meaningful Mm. and we show kids that it's not just about bypassing every other feeling just to get to happiness as the destination I actually think we will be happier and have a lot more room to be there for other people and to be supportive it won't be so scary because we know that that feeling is temporary yes And, you know, one of the things I've, once again, having a conversation about this today, like I say, with trying to hold space with my partner and and the grief that he's feeling. And I don't know, you can kind of tell me whether this is a a toxic positivity thing or a helpful thing to say, but I kind of said to him, um, he's desperately wanting to feel better and happier and understandably and hates, hates it, hates feeling sad. (laughs) And you know, I said to him, you, he's like, I just want to be happy all the time. I don't, I, I want, I want my loved ones to be happy. I, I hate seeing them like this. And, you know, I just said that happiness feels better when you've experienced the sadness, when you've had the pain, like it, you can't, you almost like don't, if you were happy all the time, you wouldn't truly know what that is because you haven't had the opposite experience of the sadness and the pain. And that actually kind of makes this, this, the happiness sweeter almost mm-hmm. you feel like that's I think helpful? that's I think it is when the person's in a place to hear that and it's mm. hard for us to know when they are or they aren't and mm. you know your partner best I'm sure to know when that would be helpful to him it sounds like what he's saying is like I'm scared of being in this place like yes. it's very uncomfortable for me and with grief, and you know this, that I think the scary thing is like, we don't know when it is going to end. And it, it often doesn't, it just kind of like, 
ebbs and flows. And that's the worst is you're like anticipating when the next wave is going Mm. to come of that feeling. That is, that is very true. And yeah, it's a case of, and, and I think this is another kind of conversation around the kind of grief conversation as well of this idea that your grief will one day be like gone um and it's not it's like you just learn to live with it <laughs> and exactly. you just kind of learn to build a life around it so true it it becomes part of you and and a lot of people will say you know you learn how to carry it better or differently or maybe it doesn't get triggered as strongly but it's always there especially when it's someone that meant a lot to you and i don't know that people would necessarily want to lose that because it's it's also like having a part of that person there with you. Yeah, and you want their memory to be still a thing and you want to talk about them and share your memories. And I know for me that, that gives me so much comfort. I, would, I don't want to pretend yeah. that person never existed. I want to, you know, I want to keep their memory alive. I want to tell my children about, you know, the various people in my life who've passed away. I, I want to, I want everyone to know who they were and and talk about the, even you know the happy times we had together the sad times we had together I want people to me that's that's really important part of yeah kind of living with it living with with that kind of loss um I know we're talking about I don't know toxic positivity is like a a negative thing but I want to ask because I've always considered myself an optimistic person a glass half full person I know there's certainly part of that of where, like I've kind of already said, struggle to f- to under fully appreciate the full range of emotions and and allow myself to like be sad and sit with sadness. Um, but is it always? Is it like always an, a bad thing? Is it even a bad thing to kind of be an optimist or have a you know like someone might say like a sunny outlook on life? Is that always a bad thing? Not at all. And I think that's what a lot of people, when they hear the phrase toxic positivity, it's like, oh, positivity is bad. And that's not the case. Toxic positivity or positivity becomes toxic in situations where it doesn't fit, where it's forcing us to bypass our emotions and telling us that what we're feeling is wrong. When we look at helpful positivity or optimism or hope, we're making room for the fact that hope can exist even when things are not going well and that we can validate both sides and make our own choice about where we're going to orient ourselves. Toxic positivity is more forceful in the sense of like, no, you will look on the bright side and we will not look at anything else. And when we're allowed to like arrive at these conclusions naturally, it's a lot better. Yeah, I, I, I'm really getting that in the, like I say, my best friend who's just had this year from hell, who's come out the other side of it, feeling hopeful about the future, knowing that it's still what I'm going through is awful and shit. And I feel, and it's been the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And yeah, I still have some hope for the future that you're able to hold both those things, like you say, rather than just going like, no, like, you know, they wouldn't want me to feel this way. I'm going to just keep going and and be happy and, you know, no one wanted you to be sad. And I think that happens a lot, a lot um, with, with grief. What other 
platitudes that you hear in general it can be around losing someone um but that people might say to a friend or loved one at times when they're sad maybe they're going through a big life transition they've lost someone what are the most unhelpful phrases yeah so the biggest offenders that I tend to hear are (laughs) Um, everything happens for a reason. You need to be positive if you want this to work. Um, that can be a lot around like health, job, anything. Um, God never gives you more than you can handle or life never gives you more than you can handle. Any of the ones around gratitude, like at least it's not this or be grateful. It's not that. Um, are particularly unhelpful. And then of course, you know, those really cheap ones that we talked about earlier, like just smile, just be happy. You know, like if it was that easy, I think we would all be doing it by now. What can we say as alternatives in that moment? What are good other options? So I think instead of, of relying on scripts, it's really important for people to understand that sitting with someone and trying to understand their situation, seek compassion, empathy, understanding, and just being with them is very important. You brought up the example of like being able to just talk about the person that you lost. Mm. And that is often so much more effective than somebody giving you this great statement. So I like to focus more on asking, listening, and supporting rather than trying to be like a Hallmark card that knows exactly what to say. Because people often don't remember those things as well or or integrate it. Um, action-based strategies can also be really helpful. So thinking about how can I do something for this person? How can I show that I care, whether that's through food, cleaning, um, you know, driving them somewhere, those things can be particularly helpful as well. I would completely agree with that. Having being on the receiving end and also being the person trying to support other people thinking how can I show up for them in a practical way like how can I you know ease the burden of life that they have whilst they're also trying to go through this emotional stuff as well like you know the practical things in their day-to-day how else can I like I say help them with that um I think cleaning is always a really good one. Cleaning and food. Yes. Really, Love really, cleaning really cleaning and food. <laughs> a good lasagna is always welcome. <laughs> um, I want to, um, yeah, I want to talk about the other phrase like you mentioned about the whole, everything does happen for a reason. And why does, I think a lot of people like feel they need explanation for bad things or they need to reason. And I, I say that as someone who has felt that way, um, that certain things have helped me. So when like my granddad passed away and knowing that he was unwell kind of logically helped me process what had happened. Um, but what, what do you feel is the, the need for like logic and reasoning and or even thinking that that a higher power has been in, involved in that process. You're you're exactly right that humans really love to have a story. We like to have a beginning and an end and a neat narrative to follow. There's also something at play called the just world bias where we tend to believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. We of course know this is not true. 
So often to like maintain that cognitive structure, we will come up with other things of like, well, this had to happen to bring me to this good thing. And that way everything can kind of stay on this narrative. And it's likely that yes, everything probably happens for a reason if we look at things from a global, you know, long-term perspective. But sometimes that reason is very bad or it has nothing to do with us Mm. um, or it's something that we just kind of made up as being the reason. Yeah. And I don't know if this is a a related thing and I, and I see like a big shift in this need, this need to find reasoning through elements of spirituality um and like I certainly see in millennials a shift towards things like horoscopes and star signs and astrology um and I feel that to try and almost like be a new be a modern day religion of where we used to go to church or to synagogue or to um you know wherever your place of worship might have been and and whatever religion you may have bought into I think I personally feel particularly with like you know Catholicism and Christianity and those sorts of things there's a lot of like disillusionment right now um and so we're looking for other ways to explain stuff um and so we're trying to find these meanings and I I also don't want to take away that for anyone because I really feel that if you've found something that gives you comfort and isn't doing anyone else any harm then who am I to judge but I do feel that sometimes it's part of that need to feel almost feel nothing if you're not in control then at least someone else is in control (laughs) that at least something else is controlling this the, the thing um and that there's a there's a comfort in that so true. I, I think that's really one of the biggest things that draws people to positive thinking and the law of attraction and manifestation is this belief that if I can just get my thoughts under control, I can control the universe. I can control my life. I can get everything I want. And these are the exact promises that are made in a lot of these books. And religion promises a lot of the same things, mm. right? If you follow these tenets of the religion, you will go to heaven, good things will be given to you. And we know, you know, especially people who have been um, victims of tragedy or experienced difficult things that you can do everything right. And bad stuff can still happen to you. And I think that's when the psyche of a lot of people who subscribe to any of these types of beliefs really gets rocked. But at the core, it is about seeking control comfort and feeling understood regardless of of what you subscribe to I think that's a really great point of of yeah having all these various kind of like believing in this higher power whatever and I think it's still important to say that sometimes bad things happen with no explanation and that it's not fair and there is no rhyme or reason and that's so frustrating and can be really hard to get our heads around um and like I say if we didn't have a manual to think about you know to deal with difficult stuff we certainly don't have a manual to go oh like that's (laughs) yeah that's that's okay then like okay sometimes bad things just happen to the best of people 
that you know you mm-hmm. consider to be the best people and you know I think that does that kind that especially comes with a lot of anger of like I need something to blame I need something to direct the kind of the pain and anger that I'm feeling I need a place to to put it absolutely and how scary you know is that belief it's taken me a while to reconcile it is that I have control over a lot of things and I don't have control over everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can make, you know, we've been living through a pandemic. It's like crazy. No one's brain could have ever conceptualized what this would feel like. And it's very difficult to realize like, wow, sometimes these things are just going to happen, even if I'm a good person. Yeah, you can do everything right. You can follow the rules. You can do X, Y, Z. And yeah, that things are things are still gonna happen I want to talk about manifestation that you mentioned um because there is like I say that idea that we're like in control of our own destinies do you feel there is any merit to things like manifestation and things where you think you can make things happen for yourself Yes. So the beginning part of manifestation is very valuable. And that's when people are instructed to decide what they want from life, you know, point it out, visualize it. That's very effective when it comes to goal setting. A lot of the traditional manifestation texts that we see, like the secret, the law of attraction, they really tell you that once you get to that step and you put it out there that you want it in your thoughts, you don't need to do anything else. You can just chill, sit back, and what's meant for you will come to you, right? And that's another one I have a huge problem with. But we notice that that doesn't really work all the time. It kind of seems to me like only very wealthy, privileged people are able to take that approach. And then it's easy to reflect back and say, oh, I manifested this. But it's often a lot more behind the scenes. So I think the part about like, this is my goal, you know, even putting it on a vision board, taking pictures, looking at it is great. But after that, we have to look at what actions am I going to take? Um, What might be out of control in this situation for me? What extra supports might I need to bring in? And really look at like, what are the roadblocks that are going to get in our way? And what we can do to help make this happen? I also feel with manifesting and it's not something I consciously do but you know at the beginning of the year I'm definitely like right I'd like to have these things by the end of the year um I kind of feel it's one of those things where if you're thinking of the color blue you see the color blue everywhere so if you're if you've put it out there that you want to focus on this thing then you start seeing more doors that might open to you doing that thing or you might see more opportunities to do it and so it's not necessarily this is my perspective and I know that's going to be disagree with me but maybe it's not necessarily that something else is doing it the work it's just that you have put it out there into the world and therefore you have kind of subconsciously internalized that you're going to make it happen and so you start like laying the foundations that eventually lead to you achieving what you're going to achieve um which I know might not be the thinking yeah the 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 true reasoning behind manifestation and thinking the universe is is doing it for you and and putting things in place for you I think it's you subconsciously knowing that those things are happening 
I don't know if that's a controversial totally. opinion or not. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think in some circles probably because you're saying like, oh, I'm doing it, not the universe. And there's some people that think only the universe is doing it. But we know that action has to be taken. And your point about like, if you put something out there, you're going to see more of it is absolutely true. I think it just, it's within reason, right? Because that's some of the argument about positive thinking. Like if I only think positive thoughts, I'll only see, feel, and believe positive things. Mm -hmm. And so instead, when you put a goal out there, you have to look not only for doors opening, but also like, what do I need to do so that more doors can open? What obstacles am I seeing? What about myself needs to change? And that gives us a lot more control and agency over our path. So with that as well, do you feel like there has to be discussion around privilege within that, that, you know, that certain people are going to be able to manifest stuff and it's going to happen for them a lot easier because they hold a lot more privilege, whether it's like financial privilege um, and therefore access to more resources and opportunities and like I don't know what it's like in the US but in the UK a lot of life is not what you know it's certainly who you know and so you know that is a huge part of it um not to mention like we spoke about you know sexism racism um oh and all the all those sorts of things as well so yeah do you feel this is kind of the take this is the notion I've been getting from your work that it's like yeah you can you know it's not necessarily a bad thing to think positive but real world application is so important and context is kind of key yeah and we we cannot talk about manifestation without talking about privilege in my opinion because there's a lot of influencers online like oh I manifested this new job I got and it's like okay but you knew that person who gave you that job and did you manifest it or was it already kind of in the works Um, You know, where there are a lot of steps throughout your life that brought you there. And I think circling back to the conversation we had at the beginning about the girl who said, you know, we all have the same 24 hours of the day. Mm. That's the same premise that like you're putting everyone on the same playing field and saying, here's the tool of manifestation. Make it happen for yourself when all of us are not starting to manifest from the same place. Yes. And, you know, I there was a great video online which kind of shows um kids lining up for a race and how some people can you know either be pushed back from the start line or move forward from the start line based on various different factors and you're right like if we're all yeah starting to try and be in control of our own destiny and I think this is the same within health and fitness it's the people who are saying like you know if you just want to get fit, lose weight, all the rest of it. You just need to do this, no excuses. And I, and for me, that narrative especially comes from people who work in an industry where they have all the resources in terms of having access to a gym and, and knowledge and have done courses and training and various, and just have a stuff. So they have the time to do it. Um, and then not to mention, like I say, that part of do people have a safe area to exercise in? Do people have right. money to spend on, you know, activewear? Like, can they afford a pair of trainers? You know, all these things we don't consider. And I think that it shows up a lot in various different industries, um, health and fitness and wellness being certainly one of them, because we 
it's easier to say and it's a lot more glamorous and fun and I think exciting to say you can just do it if you set your mind to it you know if I can Mm -hmm. do it you can do it that's one of my most annoying toxic positivity phrases (laughs) if I did it you can and I think it's once again like we said as we kind of spoke about at the beginning of the conversation but you saying that you have not put yourself in other people's shoes. You don't know what it's like to, you know, be a sole parent of three children and work two jobs. You don't know what that's like. So how can you possibly say that? But it's an easy sell. It's like an easy, to me, it's like, it's the easy option. It absolutely is. And I, I think I saw a video the other day of this girl who was answering like how she stays in shape. And at the end she said, and I'm actually just naturally pretty thin. And yes. so even if I eat what I want and I don't work out, uh, my body tends to stay within this range. Like I won't have abs, but I, I don't look very different. And that is the part that's also often missing so much from all these discussions, fitness, manifestation, et cetera, is like, what's your starting point? Yeah, that 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 one in the context of fitness and everything is like, and yeah, genetically, you are more like visibly muscular and leaner. Like genetically, you are, and genetically, some people are bigger, and or some some people are skinnier. Like that's just how it is, and therefore we're not all at the same starting point. So how can you compare? You know, um, how yeah, how can you compare? It's frustrating. <laughs> um, Whitney, I've loved our chat and I want to finish our conversation by um, asking you about, well, two things. Firstly, I want to ask you about Instagram and therapy on Instagram because I know obviously that's something you've done. And I and I, I know at one point there was like a little bit of backlash. I feel like pushback on to therapists on Instagram saying like, this, is a, this can't be a substitute for therapy and, and everything. But I... I feel personally there's a lot of merit to it if you're, you know, following um, accounts like yourself. What do you feel um, are maybe the pros and cons of sharing online as a therapist? And, you know, what do you recommend people to look for when looking to follow those kinds of pages online? I've seen a lot of benefit in terms of it's helping people start to have difficult conversations with people that they care about. It's also helping people get into therapy. You know, Mm -hmm. I get tons of requests or people looking for a therapist, which I think is, is huge. And it's making mental health something that we talk about out loud in the mainstream where everybody is. And when I got on Instagram, even just like four years ago, that was not the case. And a lot of people told me, like, you're crazy for doing this and nobody is going to follow you. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, I think sometimes the topics can be a little bit too watered down. Um, I also see a lot of especially young people diagnosing themselves with things that don't seem to really fit um, or they're just kind of qualities of being human. So it's it's very important to... um, you know, always look through the con- look at the contact through the lens of like, does this apply to me? Is this person speaking to someone like me? Um, do they know enough about me for me to apply this to my life? And also just making sure that you're following people, you know, who have the right education, certification, tools, or personal experience if that's the angle that they're speaking from. I think those are 
great great advice and and i completely echo what you said that i think a lot of people are able to see what therapists look like or hear what a therapist might have to say if they've only got the view of like going to see some stuffy old person and you lie on a couch and that's therapy like i think it's really broken down the stigma of therapy and and helping people realize that it can be such a range and there can be you know so many different perspectives and you can find the kind of you know therapist and and type of therapy that works for you um and so I like to finish every conversation by asking the guest what has been your most recent train happy moment I loved this question when I was reading it so this is a moment where I went like against diet culture or something right yeah okay So I had a baby six months ago. So this has been the most difficult period I think I've had physically or or with my body. And I have recently been feeling like I can't wear certain things that I used to wear before. Um, And recently I just had a shift that like, I'm just going to start wearing my clothes again (laughs) and it's going to be okay. And this is where my body's at right now. And that was a, a huge deal for me. I think that's really refreshing to hear because I think there's a lot of new mums putting a lot of pressure on themselves and feeling like and I I mean I can only imagine it's not something I've gone through myself but I can imagine you you're refinding your identity again after having a baby like it's a huge identity shift and you're figuring out who you are and most likely for a lot of people their bodies are going to change and it's like oh how do I dress this shape this is different you know mm-hmm. maybe my hips are wider and I'm not used to this so and then your your older clothes don't fit so you're like well what is my style how do I dress what is my you know who am I in clothes um and so I think it's yeah refreshing to hear someone say like I'm just gonna wear the clothes I want and I think that's lovely thank you so I really appreciate you sharing so Whitney where can people follow you read your book just generally support your work yeah, so Instagram is the best place to find me at Sit With Wit. And my book is being sold anywhere books are sold. So you can get it through, you know, Amazon, anywhere. It's going to be available on audio, Kindle, and hardcover. Amazing. I'll link all of that in the show notes for everyone listening. And like I said, I followed you for years, so I can, you know, totally recommend following your work. I think it's brilliant um and yeah huge congrats on the book and i wish you all the best thank you so much i appreciate it and that is it for this week's episode of the train happy podcast thank you so much for listening i hope you took something away from this episode and if you did please let me know by sending feedback you can find us on instagram at train happy podcast or even better it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening as it really really helps to support and boost the train happy message and remember if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you then share your story with us via email trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week and if you have a burning question you would like me to answer then please send those in too and it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes once again thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon normally being a little extra can be a bit much 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.